0: It makes your day-to-day easier and gives you the freedom to focus on what really matters, your future.
1: Grow your business without the grind in Slack. Visit Slack.com to get started.
2: When Michael left as CEO, stepped down as from being CEO, he didn't leave the company all at once. So oh, I don't yeah. know about you, Michael. Yeah, oh yeah, mm. exactly. We both forgot this. <laughs>
3: oh, that, this is terrible.
0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. This is Brave New Work, a podcast about reinventing our organizations and the search for a more adaptive and human way of working. I'm Aaron Dignan, and I'm joined by my illustrious co-host, Rodney Evans.
1: Hello, everyone.
0: We are also joined by friend of the show and former guest, Michael Bungay-Stanier and current CEO of Box of Crayons, Shannon Menifee.
3: Welcome to the show, you two.
2: Hi there. Thanks for having Thank us. You.
3: We're, we're just gonna start the the tradition of me just talking over Shannon. I'm <laughs> sorry about <Yes>. that. <laughs> we're, 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 we're gonna say it's, it's a metaphor right for everything eight. this conversation <laughs> will be about. That's
0: fantastic. <laughs> That's great. Let's model. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the transfer of power, share a voice, and everything else connected to what happens when someone else takes over.
1: Mm-hmm. But
0: before we unpack that, we will check in.
1: We will. Uh, I'm very excited to do a check-in round. And I thought of a funny one for us to do, which is this one. What is a song that you absolutely hate, but you can't exactly say why you hate it? I am going to go. But if you can say, you should. Okay, let's go. Aaron, then Shannon, then Michael, then me.
0: Got it. Okay, so here's the thing. My wife's favorite musical artist is Bruce Springsteen.
1: I know this (laughs) about her. (laughs)
0: almost every Bruce Springsteen song with the E Street Band, something about it irritates me. Sure. (laughs) And I don't know what it is exactly, but it has something to do with the stiffness of Mm. the band and the looseness of Bruce. (laughs) I'm not taking credit (laughs) away from him. He's a genius. He's way more successful than I'll ever be. A lot of people love him. But whenever a song comes on, I'm like, what is it about this? I know it's like, this is legendary American rock, but I'm not here for it.
1: (laughs) I love it.
2: There
0: you go.
1: Shannon? I, a particular
2: song isn't coming to mind, but I hate everything ABBA does. What? <laughs> yes. Yeah. How dare you. Sorry, I can't Michael. believe this that. Could, this could be the final straw. Is this is, it? It? is this the final
3: straw. This is absolutely the final straw.
2: <laughs> oh, it's terrible. It's just like a refrigerator buzzing. I can't stand Uh-oh. it. <laughs>
1: Ooh, fighting words. All right. Yeah, and I, I hope- wouldn't go
2: so far as to say that they're too loose or something like our man Springsteen, but I, I just don't <laughs> like it. Yeah,
1: nice.
3: I, you know, that's a that's a difficult question because I find, you know, I I have a few songs. I mean, I have many songs that I like. I realized apparently that I stopped listening to new music in about 1984 so they're all classic <laughs> old white man choices and then I'm just vastly indifferent to to a lot of music I'm just like yeah I don't I don't get it and I kind of move on to it so I'm I'm struggling but I will say firmly that there's m- most of ABBA's repertoire I love so like oh. we're going <laughs> to have to kind of have a process to kind of work through this together <laughs>
1: We have different reading tastes, too. We'll get through it. That's okay. Diversity of taste is, you know, what makes a company great. Um, For me, the song that I cannot exactly articulate why it makes me so mad. I hate the song Hotel California so Mm. much that when it comes on, I will leave a room. Like mm-hmm. everything, I like the story makes no sense.
2: They're stop. trying to be <laughs> mystical.
1: Stop. I don't, I just, I feel like the sentiment of being trapped is correct because oh. I am trapped in that song.
3: Oh, nice. Very Now we have a problem.
1: Yeah. Uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out this is a very divisive.
3: Yeah. <laughs> <surprisingly> Hotel, California. <laughs> <laughs> Hotel <laughs> California is your Hotel California.
0: It really is. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It
1: really is. You can check out, but you can never leave.
0: That's yeah. literally the first song I learned to play on the ukulele for Huxley when he was born.
1: Well, oh, I'm sorry for your child. Right,
0: you know, so nice one with know. the
1: check-in
2: question, Rodney. You're gonna have to <laughs> yeah. adjust the intro and that's say right. former CEO of Box of Crayons <laughs> yeah.
1: and former business partners, Rodney and Aaron. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. good. It's good, y'all.
0: All over music. No, I can live <laughs> with it. Well. I can roll with it, Rodney. It's fine. I can roll with it. <laughs> okay. Okay, so today's topic is the transfer of power at Box of Crayons and what happened when Michael, the founder, decided to step back and make room for someone else at the helm. So I guess I want to start by asking you, Michael, to tell us the story of what brought you to that moment. How'd you get there?
3: Yeah, so I founded Box of Crayons in 2001. And I founded it out of necessity because I'd been fired from my job <laughs> I really couldn't figure out how to get another job so I'm like okay finally I'll try and start start a company and by <laughs> company I really meant just kind of start a way of earning money because you know I thought it would just be me and my business plan was to try and find somebody with a wallet <laughs> you know that's it and the first 3 or 4 years was just me doing kind of classic solopreneur odd jobs I had a mixed bag of skills and I sold them where I could but then three or four years into it, I kind of found my, started to find the niche around coaching and curiosity and over the the next 10 years or more built this company or kind of tried to build this company around coaching skills and, and driven by some of the books that I'd written, but also increasingly just selling into big organizations. So the Mm -hmm. corporations I sold were, were a B2B business and, you know, I just came to realize that I just wasn't that great a CEO. I mean, I got by on kind of founder momentum, (laughs) the fact that I'd written some books, so some some, some credibility, whether that was justified or not. But, you know, I had this company that was, you know, in the kind of low millions in terms of revenue, and I was spending a lot of time poorly managing it, and it Mm -hmm. was getting by on, on some good, some good business model decisions I'd made and some decent principles I had, but no actual strong management. Mm. And working with a friend of mine who was kind of a, not a coach, I, I hadn't hired her as a coach, but she was a, a person who I talked to about business. And I'd hired Shannon mm. to help with some book marketing. And she just quickly gone from come and do a few hours helping me market this new book to, you're actually quite good at this. Do you want to do more hours marketing the book? And she's like, Sh- okay. And then, hey, how about, uh, do you want to do anything else here? Because you could, you probably could. We could do marketing or sales. And she was, okay, I might do sales. I've never done that before and became excellent at that and built a sales function. The seed got planted that you know, Shannon had the chops potentially to be a CEO. And that planted the seed in me that I could not be the CEO. And that was the start of it.
1: Hmm. So is what you're saying that (laughs) if it were not for Shannon, you would still be the CEO? Hmm.
3: I, um, I think that's a high possibility because Mm -hmm. you have to get, you know, it's really hard as a founder to believe anybody can take on running your company. It's just, it's just like, I don't think you can do it. (laughs) I'm like, you have to (laughs) have a certain, I mean, I, I, I think the same about my wife. I'm like, I'm pretty sure there aren't very many people in this world that, A, I could marry, and B, who could then stay married to me. It takes a pretty (laughs) special person. (laughs) And I feel like Shannon is, you know, like that in in the work equivalent, which is like, I can't, I've never met anybody who I think could be CEO of Box of Crayons other than Shannon.
1: That's really cool. And and the reason I asked the question exactly (laughs) that way is because... Just as an org designer, it's a cool confluence of role clarity, self-awareness, and an emerging talent and, like, opportunity. It's not like Mm -hmm. you were like, I'm ready to retire. Let's call a search search firm. It was like (laughs) these forces came together, as they do in complexity, to make magic.
0: So what is a CEO at Box of Crayons? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, let, me I, know, let me
2: know if you have the answer. <laughs> Why are no, you no, laughing, Michael? <laughs> well, we
3: sp- so we decided to make, manage this as a two-year process. We spent mm-hmm. a year just talking about it and warming up to it. And we hired our friend Jill to be our our joint, our transition coach. She wasn't my mm-hmm. coach. She wasn't Shannon's coach. She was our coach as we managed this process. So we spent a year until sh- talking about it and kind of working stuff out till, till Shannon took on the role. And then we spent a year after she became CEO formally working through the process of that transition. And the first year, what I really remember is Shannon going, but what the hell do you do? What ac- What is your job? <laughs> and me not really having a good answer because I'm like, I'm not entirely clear, number one, what the hell I do as a CEO. And secondly, even if I did know I'm not doing it very well, and thirdly, even if I did know and I was doing it well, I'm not sure that's the role I want you to be playing as the CEO because
2: mm-hmm. yeah. part
3: of your job is to be the CEO of a new, an emerging company, not managing this current mm-hmm. company.
2: Yeah.
0: Shannon, say a little bit more about your origin story. So obviously you came in and you swept Michael off his feet. Mm-hmm. But what, <laughs> what was going on that kind of set you up to do that?
2: Yeah, the, so the origin story is that in 2015, which is right before the Coaching Habit book came out. I uh, vaguely
0: remember that year. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> a
2: long time ago in the before times. I was in graduate school working on a doctorate in literature. I was working at a local literary publishing house here in Toronto, very part time. I was teaching an adjunct course at Queen's University where I was doing my doctorate. I was teaching another adjunct course, I think, at a local college. And I was working at a wine bar, pizza place, wine bar down the street from my house. As Um,
0: future CEOs do. Of course.
2: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. So what's funny about all of this is that I have, like, the joke is that I have a five-year career, but I've been working forever, sort of at that pace, since I was legally allowed to work, basically, and probably younger than that. I don't know, however old you have to be <laughs> to have a paper route. My my dad was, like, making us go and have a paper route and, and work. So when I met Michael and his wife, Marcella, the owners of Box of Crayons, I was working at the pizza bar, which is where they came on Wednesday nights to enjoy wine. And they'd sit at the bar and we would chat and they knew that I was doing a doctorate in English. And Michael had done a master's in English at Oxford, where he met Marcella, who was doing a doctorate in English there as well. So we talked about my students and about my research. Maybe we didn't talk that much about my research, but anyway, we sort of bonded over that. And they casually asked me if I wanted to maybe quit working in the restaurant and replace that with working really part-time, like Michael said, doing some publicity for the book. So that's how I came in. It was like, hey, just come and work for a couple hours. We have this business, a bunch of different contractors work for us. And then kind of like Michael described the success of the coaching habit book, but also our ability to build structures around the business and functions. So an operations function and a sales function to support all of the demand that came from the popularity of the book. Those were the really transformative years in which Michael also realized, I guess, that he
1: wasn't up for the task of continuing on as CEO. So one big question, Michael, that I have for you, because I was really excited to do this episode because having been around a lot of founders in my career so far, I don't often see successful transitions happen and I often see founders stay too long. And so when you say like, you know, I was no longer a great CEO or I was not a great CEO or whatever, like what what were the signals that you were picking up inside this organization that you had built yourself that were telling you like, you know what? Somebody else might be able to do this in a better or different way than I'm doing it.
3: Well, there were just some internal signals, which was I'm kind of wired to kind of do the work in front of me. You know, I kind of have some Mm -hmm. of that Protestant work ethic, but I'm like, this isn't particularly joyful, the work that I'm doing. It's not terrible, but I'm not, I don't feel like I'm using the best of who I am. So there's just Mm -hmm. an awareness that this was, Quite a lot of work and none of it was thrilling for me but it just it, we just we were growing and our business model was breaking because of the success of the coaching habit we were getting like h- hundreds of companies uh, in a year calling us mm-hmm. up to, to come and run training programs for them mm-hmm. and I thought i'd done this i mean i had i created a business model that had really worked for a while which is like it's a transactional training experience the the courses are not modifiable they're just off the shelves but the way they're structured means that they kind of fit in with the experience of the people and it had worked really well for a while but it started to break and the business model or the structural model we had which was effectively no employees we just yeah. had me at the heart My wife, when we were smaller, her job was the vice president of everything else. So she was kind of like (laughs) getting other stuff done. (laughs) And then we had contractors supporting us, but we just, we just now needed people who were more fully engaged in the business. So we had to restructure around hiring people and building an employee based company rather than a contractor based company. And there was just a bunch of stuff going on. And I could have, I could have probably pushed some form of that. Burning wreckage over a line somehow, but seeing Shannon come on the horizon and having Jill kind of helping us start making that transition, it just felt to me that I'm like I can see that I I'd be happy to to have somebody take this on, mm-hmm. even though I'm not sure what the hell I'd do now. <laughs> yeah. what that means for me. And there's there's also just you know we've all heard that saying that you know A players hire A people, I think, and B players hire C people. And there's, mm-hmm. there's part of me going, look, I feel I, I am potentially making myself redundant and perhaps irrelevant. <laughs> there's, there's a slight <laughs> existential crisis that that's part of this process. But I just thought that there was a bigger win. There's no way that Box Cranes could have the impact in the world that I was hoping it would have if I was still CEO. It's just that wouldn't, that would never happen.
1: That's a really cool answer. And And one thing just to To point out, because the trap that we, and I'm sure you all see people fall into all the time, is, you know, about the three letters in front of your name, like on the LinkedIn profile. And to me, you know, people ask me for career advice a lot i imagine you get a lot of those questions like one of the biggest prompts that i really push people to get specific about is like do you like what you do mm. get rid of like you know what your passion is or what the title is or all of that other stuff like is the pile of crap on your to-do list <laughs> stuff that makes you want to go home or stuff that is mm-hmm. neutral to energizing right and so i just think what's cool about how you answered that is also there There were some external factors, but you're also just looking, as you said, at the at the burning wreckage and and you're <laughs> like, you know what, I don't necessarily I'm not necessarily lit up by the idea of pushing this over the line. And, right. and I feel like if more of us who are in the position to do so were listening and paying more attention to that kind of filter, we mm-hmm. would just like make better choices about what we do and more quickly. And more quickly, yeah, because it wouldn't just be like, well, like I'm, how am I going to go from the CEO to something else?
3: And it's like, <laughs> oh, you just
1: do, you can, you should just do that, right? <laughs> if you don't Put want that job down, anymore, pick another should, book up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, do a different <laughs> job.
3: Do a different job, or just go. This, you know, there's a, a transition happens where you wander out and you spend a bunch of time flapping around, not knowing what to do or who you're going to be now. Sure. Because as a part of the the trickiness with the, the founder role is it's not just a job. You've entwined some of your DNA in this company. Mm-hmm. And right, right. Separating from that company <laughs> is not just leaving the status of a role. It's abandoning something that is an Im- external embodiment of what you stand for in the world. So there's there's kind of stuff attached to that. I also have always had just a pretty good self-esteem and that is helpful. It's mm-hmm. like I... I you know, I have a really good sense of self worth separate from other stuff that I've done.
1: That that helps with the diffusing of our identity from our it, from it our
3: work. It was still hard. It's... Don't get me wrong; it was still hard. But it's but fundamentally, I've got a belief that I you know the the stuff I do, you know, it's like lucky and wonderful, and you know, it it too shall pass.
1: Yeah. So, so Shannon, mm. just coming to you, understanding that. This sounds like in some ways it was your first role that's anything like this role. Mm-hmm. So yep. so you have that. And then you have this founder with fame and identity and all of this other stuff. And then you have the needs of the company, where you see the market headed, probably some opinionated employees. And your own instincts. And you just like put that all in a blender and mix it up. <laughs> and what do you get? Like, how are you <laughs> thinking about, or how have you been thinking about how yeah. you shape this role so that it's yours, even as there are a bunch of inputs and history and trappings that come along with it?
2: Yeah. What you get when you put it all in the blender are some really difficult days, Mm. (laughs) but there's, there's some, there's a lot of good days too. I think, so a lot of stuff in there. It's true that as we were in the transition period leading up to the handover of power, I was constantly asking Michael, like, but what do you, but what is the job? <laughs> I think I was like, I was like Googling, like, what do CEOs do? It just, it seems like just such an abstraction. And I had no idea. Basically, I just didn't know what my day was going to look like. And I didn't know because I was coming from a sales role where the contribution of value is so easily measured. Right. And this, you know, just goes right to your brain as well. I, it was a huge change of pace for me to to think about the fact that my job was to empower other people to to do the work to mm-hmm. lead the work rather than to do the work and so that was a that was a huge shift and i realized that the reason why michael couldn't quite answer the question for me no matter how many times i asked was that the job for the role for me in coming in first after the founder is really to create the capabilities in the organization so that its mission can exist beyond the founder. Mm-hmm. And so my role as CEO is unique, but because of because I followed Michael directly, than say another CEO to follow sure. me would be. So in the beginning it was a lot of like Michael jokes about, oh, my DNA was everywhere. Like we called it the Michael shaped hole.
1: Mm. So it's all about like
2: what has a Michael shaped hole in it, and I pictured like a like a cartoonish like, like actual yes a wall. Yes, yeah. yes exactly, and so so it's kind of looking around and it's like all right okay so operations is pretty clean of holes because that was a really
3: <laughs> it says a lot about how I manage yeah, well, exactly well, <laughs> structures and operations
2: <laughs> no, no 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 I meant the opposite I meant like so it's pretty good there's not a lot of holes there at first glance and then you're like oh wait actually these aspects of of our delivery operations hinge entirely on Michael's style and Michael's approach to designing and to facilitation and oh wait a second do we even know that is that just in his head is that written down somewhere um so and just sort of going from function to function sales was probably the least difficult because that's where I came from so I'd had to kind of set that up myself anyway but I mean there's still you know as we frame and change our value proposition as our you know sort of core competencies change over time and and as we change and build and grow as a company, there's still more work to do there in the sort of post-Michael state of the company. I guess I didn't realize how much and how unique the kind of selling Michael did Was when Mm -hmm. he was, which, and he still does outside of the organization, but that he did when he was at Box of Crayons as well. So it was really all about like turning over stones and being like, oh, interesting. Oh, didn't know about that. Okay. And the last almost two years have felt like moving through the sort of messy middle. And the way that somebody has described it to me is that soon I'll be able to. I'll be off to deal with the implications of my own decisions. Hmm. <laughs> whereas, yeah, whereas a lot of the first year and a bit is, you know, cleaning up is too is. I don't want to say cleaning up because then that presupposes it's a mess, and it's not necessarily a mess. I think this is like what happens anytime someone comes into a leadership role. But it's I'm I'm dealing in structures and relationships that I haven't erected or I haven't set up. And so that's part of that transition as well—is to get to a point where most of what I can see are, are the result of of my decisions, and then I get to own what's happened as a result of that.
0: So I wanna I wanna talk about the many ways in which it's worked. But before we <laughs> do that, it would be fun to dig into like early days or even later days. What are some of the hiccups <laughs> or sticking points or you know good good back and forth tension rich conversations that have happened?
3: Like what's hard about it?
2: Yeah. Michael, do you want me to go?
3: (laughs) Um, I do want you to go first. Yeah.
2: Just because you say early dares, Aaron, I remember because I was taking over effective July 1st, Michael, I think you went on, you had a planned holiday for like a couple weeks, right? As of that date. And the idea there was like, just make him like, he just needs to be absent. Just rip off the
1: bandaid.
2: Just rip off the bandaid. And I remember Jill, our transition coach saying like, clear your desk because his desk is going to hit your desk. Mm-hmm. And and just clear it, clear it to the next person, and so so you were gone for a few weeks after July first, and then you came back abruptly, Michael. I think, and and in the time that you'd been gone, and even before that, we had sort of set, we'd teed up like a new focus, uh, strategic focus for the company that we'd shared in a million different ways. And Michael comes back, and I think just this is just like old familiar habits. Sent an email to myself and the other two se- leaders on the senior leadership team. With like, okay, here's what I think we should do. And there was like a list of things that gave me immediate anxiety. Because <laughs> I was like, those aren't any of the things we said we were going to do. And then mm. every every recipient of the email didn't know what to do, right? Right. Um, right? Is Michael telling me this is what's important now? Is Shannon really in charge? <laughs> so that was... that. That kind of came to mind. <laughs> I, don't,
3: I don't remember that, <laughs> but, I, but, I, okay. but I in no way d- doubt the veracity of that. Cause that sounds exactly <laughs> something that I would do.
2: Uh, yeah. Yeah, I did. I remember we had to, we had a debrief with Jill and Jill was like, Michael, your days of writing emails to Shannon with, CCing the whole leadership team or the whole company are done. <laughs> Those yeah. are done. Yeah.
3: And, I, and there's been a lot of emails that I've written and then gone, I have to now delete this email <laughs> because <laughs> I can't send it because it's not my job anymore. You, you know, I, what the thing that's guided us through this, which means a reduction in the sticky moments, mm-hmm. is we adapted a tool from Susan Scott's book on fierce conversations, which is a decision making hierarchy. And she uses the metaphor of a tree. So there are four types of decisions. There's twig, branch, trunk, and root decisions. Mm -hmm. And the twig decisions are things that I will never know about. You know, just the, the, the thousands of minutiae that go on that, that will just never come to my attention ever again. The branch decisions are ones that I will probably find out eventually. You know, Shannon will mention it in a board meeting or in, in an email to the company that I get copied on. Trunk decisions are decisions that are hers to make, but that we will have a conversation about them before the decision is made so that she has my input and understands where I'm coming from. And then root decisions, the decisions that are mine to make. And, We did a quite a lot of work around what fits where with the goal of trying to push things up the tree. Because part of where founders transitions fail is they're like, I'm I'm so delighted that you're taking on all the crappy stuff. And I'm just (laughs) going to keep my fingers on the few, you know, the areas that I'm kind of interested in. (laughs) And I'll, and I'll just, I'll make those decisions. So, you know, the root decisions, the decisions that I can make, there are only two. One is buying or selling or wrapping up the company, mm-hmm. and the second is firing Shannon mm. and kind of judging her performance as CEO, and that's it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that is like, in a good way, kind of a devastating giving up of control. Because I really, there's <laughs> the, there's so much about Box of that I have no idea what's happening in there anymore. Even though Shannon does brilliant board reports and we have that update, there's just a vast amount of that culture that I'm just, I don't, I only see from the outside.
2: I realize we left out a sort of comical detail along the way here, Michael, which is that when Michael left as CEO, stepped down from being CEO, he didn't leave the company all at once. So oh, I don't yeah. know about you, Michael. Yeah, oh yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. We both forgot this. <laughs>
3: forgot that. This is terrible.
2: This is terrible. So for this first six months, we, Michael was still head of program development. Mm-hmm. So he technically re- reported to me then in that nice. role. Yeah, not a great structure. <laughs> yeah. Didn't love that. So it's funny because like I, I, first I remembered that he left right away in July, which is, which was good and the right thing to do, but then less helpful in terms of still running That that functions that Michael, you and I remember you and I had like a good meeting. I think it was in January of that first year where we sat down. It was over the holidays and you were like, you know, I I think I think I can I can I say this? You can edit this. I Michael was like, I think I've been a bit of an absent landlord with that. Piece and I let's let's hire and so that's where we double down on on moving forward to yeah. replace Michael in the business so that he could just mm. cleanly be out and continue doing what he had already started to build outside of Box of Crayons.
3: Yeah, that was hard. That was that was kind of messy and difficult because I was like, I'm tr- I'm trying to be out of Box of Crayons. I have this responsibility now for design, but it's it's not attached to any of the other stuff that. Mm-hmm. That because when I used to, in the early, early days, it'd be like, I'd be designing it, but I'd also be in conversation with the client and I'd be doing the selling and I'd be doing the performing. So it was a kind of holistic experience for me, which I enjoyed when I'm just like being a a technical designer. I'm like, my boss sucked.
2: Oh God. (laughs) 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 Right. And, and part of, and, you know, as part of sort of pushing out like strategy out from like from just myself, wanting in the head of program development, somebody who is totally involved in all those other aspects of the business in the way that Michael just said he was trying not to be. So it's not just, oh, give me a brief on the thing and I want to create it. But like, what are you seeing? And what do you think, you know, how should we be evolving and having that sort of thought partnership? And like, I still have that in Michael, but it's, you get to play it in a completely different role without deliverables now that you're not, you know, right. head of head of program development. But that was a critical turning point for me because that first six months, it was like I wasn't sure what to brief you on. And I was telling you a lot of the branch things and probably twig mm-hmm. things too because I hadn't figured out what Michael wanted to know about what I, I hadn't really given myself the permission to make decisions without letting him know about them or asking about them.
3: In fact, we, we went from a rhythm of actually when we started, I kind of would check in with Shannon every day because uh-huh. I, I didn't want her to feel abandoned. And right. in the past, I've kind of done a sort of, like I'm dropping the microphone and walking off a stage because I'm delighted to <laughs> see the back of it. I'm like, no, I'm so committed to not having Shannon's back that we met every day and at a certain point. She's like, feel like we're talking about all the minutiae. And I'm like, we are. Yeah. So let's do it weekly. Mm. And then that moved to monthly. monthly, And so uh, now Shannon and I have a kind of a, a, a lunch kind of over Zoom or, or in person, hopefully sometime soon, once a month and a formal quarterly uh, board meeting once a quarter. So part of the transition out for me is just to literally absent me from, from the details. What is
0: sort of challenging and bubbling up in me listening to all this is I didn't assume when you talked about transferring you know, who the CEO is that you were out and now I'm wondering out loud to myself, is it possible to be a founder and a CEO and then not be that, but not be out?
3: Do you have thoughts about that? I I um, I think that would be a real challenge. Cause look, without wanting to kind of blow smoke up my ass, as I say, mm-hmm. you know, in Shannon you have somebody who is brilliant. Is strategic, is a supremely gifted CEO, and also has a great deal of emotional intelligence and understanding of human dynamics. And in me, you have somebody who has some <laughs> some understanding of human dynamics. I don't have much of the other stuff, but <laughs> I, I kind of have a degree of self awareness and uh, and aware of some of my own patterns of behaviour, and and healthy enough self esteem that I can walk away from stuff, and and a commitment also to 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 give up power. Like that's a big motivator for me is to share authority and power and responsibility. That that's a highly motivating driver for me. And so we got a lot of the, we got a lot of pieces in terms of being able to play this game and figure this out. And I, you know, it, it, it might be possible, but Shannon and I would have had to do a, a continuing work and had continuing support about managing Power and control and conflict. I think. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, interesting. What do you reckon, yeah. Shannon?
2: Like we, well, we played around with the idea of you. Remember, we were like, maybe you're like artistic director, because yeah. one of the biggest Michael-shaped holes was sort of a combination of the way. Like Michael has thought about marketing and sort of box of crayons, brand look and feel and the program and the program design. And so, yeah, we played around with, could you be like an artistic director that sort of oversees both marketing and program development without having to like build all of the things all the time. But I mean, I remember the meeting we had when we talked, when we played around with that. And then instead when Jill wrote, what if this is your title? And she wrote founder on the whiteboard, you being like, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's it. Like I'm not, maybe I'm not in the business. That, that is, that is my title. Yep. So, yeah. It yeah.
3: took a bit of walking out of the valley to get out of the valley. Yeah. And to be able to kind of leave box of behind. There's just so many things pulling me back in. My of ego course. and my history and all of that sort of stuff.
1: Yeah, it, it actually leads to something that I wanted to to sort of ask you both about because I have some history pre ready and then similar at the ready of, of being with like very, foundry people, um, <laughs> and in, at my last company a very famous founder and 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 the thing I think that happens that's interesting to unpack and it sounds to me like you two did this work is. When you have a famous founder or a, a real thought leader or, you know, someone who just has, like, unique talents that a business is built on, there is yeah. magic in that. And I have seen the, the the play of trying to, like, scale that magic or productize that magic or replicate that magic or whatever. And that shit does not work. It just doesn't work. <laughs> and because it's magic for a reason. Like, it's magic because it's housed in this individual who is unique in some way. And that's how this thing became a thing and so you know i i have a conversation you know in my past life and i i have the same conversation at the ready sometimes where i'm like don't try to do it like aaron like aaron does things in a way that is very aaron that works for him but like our job systemically is to find ways that are scalable and consistent and non-like non-individual dependent whether we're talking yeah. about sales or we're talking about product launching or we're talking about any of the things that like you know there is unique magic it's like you can't just try to copy it you have to find a a different operating system that gets you the same outcome or a comparable outcome or a satisfactory outcome and and Shannon you sort of alluded to that a little bit a few minutes ago and so I was just sort of curious like how have you all thought about that thing?
2: All of the things that you just said are the things that I think about all the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like if the first if the first year and a bit, so I should also say I was on maternity leave for the last six months. So I was here part-time, but even that was an interesting moment in itself to like, can the CEO also step away for, for a period of time and, and see how things run there? But so for the first year that I was here solidly full time, it was like very basic. How do we create capabilities where there's a Michael shaped hole or where we need to create a capability to help the business grow? So like in some cases, like pretty basic, you know, functional operations and, and heads of functions, but that second piece around, so what is the magic? Why do clients love working with us? Why is the work that we do? so amazing, like well, how is it that we end up being in relationship with our people who who love us and how how do we replicate that and, and scale that is something that's been on my mind from the beginning because I, I was worried, and I think I said this to you, Michael, that if we, like I want to be able to take out of your head the the design principles of what makes our program so different and so effective. Because if we don't understand, like, the sort of how of how things have worked under Mm -hmm. the hood, people are going to try to imitate an aesthetic. Right. And that won't work. And so what we have done in terms of building that capability is a combination, I think, of getting out of Michael's head, like, here's kind of how I did that. And, And that works kind of boring, to, to you, Michael, to, to have to, to talk about it. I don't mean doing it, right? So it was kind of me chasing you around for a while being like, how do you want to do this? Do you want me yeah. to interview you? Are you going to write it yeah. down for me? But I need for you to leave this behind for, for the people who are going to come in. And then we have people working in a program development team who are, are building their own room in the house in their own way as well and who have solid experience in designing for behavior change. And so bringing together the sort of hallmarks of what makes a box of crayons program, a box of crayons program together with what they know about designing for behavior change. Yeah. Michael, did you want to add anything else? Yeah.
3: I mean, one of the breakthrough moments for me was Shannon saying fairly early on, I'm really realizing that I'm not just managing Michael's company. I'm building my own company and it's like not, it's not kind of fine tuning a museum (laughs) to the way Michael thought in 1982. It's a, it's an emergent, evolving, growing thing. Yeah, and you know one of the one of the boldest things I think Shannon did almost in the first year of her tenure was to actually with the the leadership team rework the corporate values because you know the values of a company with a founder are just the founder's values. She's Like here's what mm-hmm. I think is important about life. We'll call yeah. them my corporate values because you know it makes it sound better. Um, and so <laughs> Shannon kind of, I mean, they're edited and they're revised and there's some new and there's some disappeared, but that's very symbolic of going. This is us crafting our, you know, building our own buildings, even knowing that Michael has been here before and kind of, you know, there's echoes of what he does and how he does it around there. They've done a really brilliant job at having the courage to do that because it's the easier thing to do is just to do their best to, to kind of do photocopies of stuff that I've done in the past. And that just would be diminishing in general.
2: Right. And to trying to have people, uh, trying to create an organization that can uh, fulfill its mission beyond its founder being here. I wanted to have people show up for... The mission and the vision of why Box of Crayons exists in the world, not because they they came here because they were Michael's friend, mm-hmm. and like I'm like I'm, like, I'm that higher too though, right? Like mm-hmm. I, I totally get that higher. <laughs> so there's it was a good transitional moment of I don't think there's anybody you know at Box of Crayons who works here anymore who is here just because they Michael like drew them there mm-hmm. because Michael's amazing. They're also there because we've we've enlisted them to the vision because part of the changing the the values or evolving the values I should say because we did keep some remnants of the old ones was to have people participate in that mm-hmm. and so that the values spoke to how the team works as a team rather than sort of just in in service to to the to the founder which is a little bit you know how they were historically when when folks were
1: mostly contractors. I appreciate you both unpacking that and and two things that I would add having been in similar dynamics one is we used to say at my old company a lot if we're only successful because of this one individual then we don't have something mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so like let's just be clear-eyed about that because if this is totally personality driven and that's why we have a company we don't actually have a company so <laughs> let's just like yeah, <laughs> so just live into that. And then and then, you know, at the at the ready, I would say at various points while Aaron was writing Brave New Work or, or getting Murmur up and, and running there. There's also a thing that I have found helpful that's like we we don't have to look at the absence of someone who has their fingerprints on something as necessarily like a constraint. Like it's not like, well, oh shit, this is definitely all negative. What are we going to do to fill the hole? There Mm -hmm. is another way to look at this, which is, you know, maybe there are things about the way that we've been doing it that we all have a sense could be changed and we've just like been lazy and haven't done that work. And so I think, you know, not to be too Pollyanna-ish about it, but I do think that there is a mindset that's like, In some ways, in some ways, it is very freeing to have a founder's way not in the way and be like, what if we were designing this based on doing the work or based on the data that we've gathered or based on what we believe Mm -hmm. to be true now? Like, how Mm -hmm. different might it be? And And the answer truly is it's often quite different. And yet, unfortunately, what I see a lot of times in particularly in startup land is when the founder is moved aside for whatever reason or steps aside for whatever reason, it is just seen as a loss for a (laughs) a really long time, not as a like, well, in some ways, this is like a little bit a little bit freeing, right?
0: Which is a huge mistake, because as a founder, and I'm sure, Michael, you'll you'll empathize with this. You see your own dysfunction and your own personality defects in the system. I don't from know what you're talking. About.
3: What are you talking about? <laughs> and no,
0: don't, and be, so... don't be
3: projecting your issues onto me. Mate. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I only say that because I've heard you say similar things in the past. <laughs> um, but no, it is true. Like you see, you're, you're like, oh yeah, that's the way I communicate, or that's the way I show up, or that's the way I think about this, and it is limiting, it, it, or or at least it's focusing. And then what the other possibility spaces just aren't aren't there until you make some room. So I actually really like what you said, Ronnie, that it is it's far from a bad thing. And in fact, in many cases, it's a chance to like take the platform that's been built and what has worked and then start to expand and explore some of those things where it's like, oh, well, you know, why is that the way that that is? And what would be a different or a better or a more scalable way to to do that? So I that that resonates with me a lot. So as a place to land the plane here I am curious about something because as we got on the on the call today and started recording you know you mentioned Shannon that there's been some reading of brave new work at at Box of Crayons and there's been some experimentation and things like that given given the nature of some of the provocations in that book and and this show in general If you were to roll back the clock and do it all over again, are there any things that you would do differently, either either from your own experience or from kind of the perspective of of Brave New Work?
2: That's a good question. I'm, (laughs) I always wanted to do things differently. Michael (laughs) knows this. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty hard on myself. It's easy to look back and be like, oh, I should have known that. I should have done Mm -hmm. that sooner. I mostly think that I've done what I could do with information I had. And I don't shy away from making decisions and making hard decisions. I don't think I would do things differently. I think that we are in some ways at what feels like the beginning of trying to roll out a number of the things you talk about in, in brave new work. The most important one it feels like for us right now is the, like the advice and consent piece. Like who owns just, yeah. Um, Participatory governance.
1: Yeah. Yes.
2: <laughs> um, and again, part of that is is like, how do we not have things float back to one person? Not because mm-hmm. me, the one person CEO in charge of the accountability, but how do we just keep pushing responsibility to the level that it belongs, making, getting really clear on what people's roles are, what tensions. It's actually their, you know, their function requires them to put on the organization and being really clear about that. And that is, or we are... I I tried to roll out some of that before I went on maternity leave, and that was new. And uh, since then, the team has changed a bit, and we are doubling down on sort of our commitment to getting that right. And and actually, we're, we're running a little internal workshop, the senior leadership team in the next couple of weeks, t- taking as our topic, the membership. So we're d- running your membership exercise, Aaron, mm. and, and asking like, what is this leadership team for? And you know, what kinds of things bother us? So it's a bit of like social contracting that we're sort of doing all over again, and reviewing all of the roles work and all of the all of those governance pieces. So I don't I don't think we could have done it any sooner. But it's it feels really important for us to double down on right now
3: yeah so i am stunned at the amount of transformation box of france has gone through in 2 years it is unrecognizable to me as a company for the most for, as a as a, an internal structure like the type of the quality of the people the the quality of the leadership the strategic rigor the ambitions the values I mean, apart from the culture and the strategy, nothing else has changed. (laughs) It's like everything's changed. And so it's amazing. So the reason that I I don't look back and go, I wish I'd done this differently, is I quite like the unfolding adventure of it all. And I'm both highly optimistic about how things work. And also I'm very at peace at box of Crowns failing. Like this is part of the permission for Shannon to be CEO box of crayons is she is allowed to have this company fail, you know, take Mm. a gamble, pursue a a strategic vision that just doesn't pay out because companies fail all the time. It's part of the life cycle of an organization. And, you know, the combination of A, I like, I like, I like a little bit of standing on the edge of chaos. B, I'm really optimistic and C, I'm comfortable with the worst outcome which is well, the worst kind of corporate outcome which is the failure of the organization just makes me go it has been amazing so far and i do nothing differently in fact i'm stunned at how well everything has gone so far
2: as you can probably both imagine i'm i'm less peaceful about the prospect <laughs> of It's <Boston laughs> failing Are you also sanguine <laughs> about the end of Buck <laughs> brands yeah not quite as much, no.
3: <laughs> it's not my desired outcome. Let me I mean, let me be clear here. I'm hoping it doesn't fail, but
0: yeah, it's it's just hope. Part it's of the not deal. a
2: strategy. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: Yes, from the comfort comes the ability to let go, Portion. and yeah. from that comes all sorts of success. Yeah. That seems like a pretty good place to draw things to a close. So, Michael, Shannon, where can the old listeners here find out more about you and your work at Box of Grants?
2: You can find out more about us at boxofcrayons.com.
0: Convenient.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Too clever. It's that
2: simple.
1: I love it. Thank you both so much for coming today and talking to us about this very interesting transition. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Rodney. Thanks, yeah. Aaron. And to our listeners, if you love what you're hearing and all of the amazing guests we've had recently, we've had a, like, mm-hmm. some real bangers lately. We would love reviews. That's what you can give us. Or you can uh, forward the show to someone who needs it.
0: As we always do, we're going to offer a quick tip of the hat to Taylor Marvin for making all four of us sound good today. Uh, Brave New Work is produced by The Ready, where we help organizations around the world change the way they work. You can get in touch with us by emailing podcast at the And as for you, thanks for listening. Now, go change something, maybe even your role.